0: Previously on Transformers University We took a look at Season 1 of the Generation 1 cartoon And now we take a step into 1985 Which we kick off the second semester of Transformers University Hello my friends and welcome to episode number 14 of Transformers University I am your host Anthony Brucali And today, we are continuing our way into the second semester of Transformers University. Kicking off 1985 in content with the second season of the Transformers cartoon. And today, we're going to cover five episodes. We're going to talk about Autobot Spike. We're going to talk about Changing Gears. We're going to talk about City of Steel. We're going to talk about the attack of the Autobots. And we're going to talk about Trader. And I've got some great guests lined up for you today. But before we jump into the meat and potatoes part of this class, we are going to talk a little bit about a couple of new things at tfu.info that I just really want you to know about. Number one, we have a contest going. And I know I've been promising many of you listeners a contest. So if you swing on by to our YouTube page, uh, there's a video already up for the contest. That is YouTube. Dot com slash t-f-u-i-n-f-o, t-f-u-info. There you will find the video about the contest. We are doing a giveaway as we try to get to 1,000 subscribers. Uh, all you got to do, subscribe to the YouTube channel. That simple. Go to the YouTube page, youtube.com slash tfu info. Click subscribe, and you are in. If we get to 500, I give away three Transformers. We get to 750, I toss in a fourth, and we get to uh, 1,000. I toss in a Studio Series Thundercracker, Toys R Us exclusive toy, uh, that you will have probably have trouble finding right now, and you will really have trouble finding when Toys R Us closes for good. Additionally, if you want a little bit of an edge on that contest, you want to get a couple more entries, uh, we've also launched a Patreon for the podcast listeners and the website users. If you swing on by to patreon.com slash tfuinfo, uh, Anyone who joins the Patreon at any level, all the levels are between $1 and $10 a month, and that will get you some exclusive access to this show as well as some other shows. It'll get you the podcast at least a day early as far as Transformers University is concerned, uh, and it'll get you deeper involved in the program here. So you can sign up at any level. We have a freshman level. We have a sophomore level. We have a junior, senior, super senior and graduate level. And actually, I misspoke a little bit uh, a few seconds ago. The graduate level is a $50 level, but that one will allow you to pick a topic for this show or for TFU news and views. So uh, swing on by to Patreon, patreon.com slash tfu info for more details. Okay, enough house cleaning here. So we are going to jump into season two, and season two kicks off the first episode of the season, 17th episode overall is Autobot Spike, and that one is written by Donald F. Glute, uh, who we've mentioned here before, has a, a quite, quite uh, an interesting history and backstory, and one of those pieces of history is that he was um, a horror movie aficionado, and still is, he's not dead, he's alive, uh, and he did make his mark uh, at a young age, making amateur horror films. Uh, So much so that he gained a bit of notoriety, at least this is what I've read on Wikipedia, and uh, went so far as, through this notoriety, was able to hire Glenn Strange, the man who played the Frankenstein monster in three universal horror films, uh, House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, and a personal favorite of mine, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. And uh, so Glenn Strange actually performed in one of uh glute's shorts called frankenstein's fury and uh this is all important because this episode autobot spike is essentially a frankenstein story so much so that they mention it several several times in the episode in this episode there's actually even a scene uh, where spike as autobot x is watching a frankenstein movie on tv uh so the basic plot of this episode is that Sparkplug builds uh, a Frankensteined Autobot out of spare parts and tries to bring it to life and it comes alive and then it attacks all the Autobots and they, they put it down. But by putting him down, the Autobots have this body that they think they can one day transfer a mind into in case anyone gets too physically uh, damaged and needs to have their mind transferred before being repaired. And without getting into too much detail, uh, that eventually happens this episode, and the person who gets hurt is Spike, so they transfer Spike's mind into the body of Autobot X, uh, which is the Frankenstein body built by Sparkplug. That is your basic plot. That is the outline. And uh, for more detail, and for how this episode had a bit more of an effect on him than most people, I'm gonna to toss it over to my buddy, Gabriel Owens, the Salty Seaman.
1: to more. you what I'll
2: Hey folks, uh, Gabriel Owens, the Salty Seaman here, talking about uh, Autobot Spike. I asked to do this episode because I was reminded like this episode really creeped me out as a kid. Uh, I just rewatched it a couple of years ago and then I'm just sitting down now to uh, rewatch it again. And I still have those same feels from it before. And, you know, and I know it's, you know, it's, it's just another goofy, just uh one-off season two episode. And it's, it's a Frankenstein story. And as a kid, I knew it was a Frankenstein story. It was, you know, they, they make sure to let you know it's a Frankenstein story, but so, there, there, there's something about the whole, uh, aspect of Spike getting, uh, getting put in this creature and like basically losing his mind. And I I think it was just Spike being so out of character and seeming like in such pain, I think really affected me as a kid. Uh, One one of the uh, interesting things to watch in this episode is when you watch Autobot X or Spike who eventually gets put into him is it's figuring out where all his parts come from. Uh, If if, if you watch the episode, uh, is off. I mean, he is, Set, a spark plug builds him out of autobot parts spare parts and uh they, they do they do the animation does go through trouble of trying to make them recognizable you know autobots who existed i mean hound's missile launcher is you know the first one you could really notice and I, i'm sure i could go online and find like a complete list of recognized parts so, some are just generic but at the same time i think that's a really cool uh part of the episode you know, one of those things that always stuck out, you know, the, the doors in the back for uh, a uh, a robot that doesn't transform, you know, the car doors, uh, you know, which could be half a dozen characters. You know, I think it, it, it's still a fun touch because, you know, it's it's an Autobot and, auto, you know, half the Autobots have car doors just hanging off their back, which, you know, battle, you know, battle technique wise is, is a very dumb thing to have. But uh, I digress. This is not one of my military movie BS's I do on my own channel, The Salty Semen. Another interesting part of this is uh, this episode kind of feeds into the whole uh, belie- the, the whole thing for creating Transformer life that was present in the first season, which that makes sense. This this is basically a continuation of season one. You know, there's no you know this early on in the season there aren't the new characters aren't really showing up yet. I don't think they really show up till Dinobot Island, but uh, it's yeah basically the, 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 there's some intent there that essentially, uh, Sparkplug was going to create life just out of spare parts and transistors and diodes. Okay, now if this were a military movie bullshit episode, this Air Force base would, uh, I-, I could spend five minutes picking a part, but I won't. There's also a nice scene in here where uh, the Autobots drive up to the gate which has the, uh, the arm down. And you're expecting Optimus Prime to bust through it as he is known to do bust through things. As a big Arc Liner truck that he is, but he stops out of respect for the military's gate. Uh, Prime, you are in many out overt and subtle ways a true hero. As a former enlisted guy who would have to clean up that mess and probably repair that arm, I appreciate you, Optimus. Bumblebee, however, later on in the episode, doesn't have the same respect for the uh, arm gate. There's also a rare scene of Soundwave. Using uh, Megatron's gun form, which of course uh, longtime fans know is classically Starscream's gig, but uh, Starscream wasn't in this battle. And another uh, another thing I really liked is there's there's a very I, I I guess it's the line reading. I don't think it's what it was intended, but as, uh, they're trying to get Autobot Spike under control, Autobot X as he's trashing uh, Autobot headquarters. And Sideswipes goes, He's out of control again. Just kind of matter of fact, like, I don't know if he's implying, I guess it's supposed to imply that Autobot X is destroying everything, but it makes it sound like Spike. Spike just kind of, you know, constantly goes around and destroys uh, Autobot headquarters. But uh, I don't know. The the line reading I I thought was pretty funny. There's also a nice touch in this episode where they actually return to the base and uh, help the humans clean up. I think always a point of contention is like, you know, with TV shows of this this type, comic books and whatnot, you know, who cleans up all these big battles? So it's nice to see the Autobots uh, taking responsibility for, you know, even though they were on the defensive, they're still like, hey, we should go uh, help these humans, you know, these poor listed people like myself who have to go fix this shit. You know, let's go help them out. It's the least we can do. So I appreciate that. And there's there's a there's another funny bit in the episode where the Decepticon head, underground uh, headquarters uh, pops up next to some, uh, which I guess are the rocky cliffs of Oregon near the Autobot headquarters, like Laserbeak was spying on the Autobots as he is wont to do. And uh, usually they depict the Decepticon base just kind of being in the midst, the middle of the ocean. And this time, the, uh, the, 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 the the raising tower comes out of the water right next to the shoreline, which I don't remember it ever seeing it do. It. I guess it's like the tree in the Simpsons' backyard. It's where they need it to be. And, you know, as mentioned, uh, this movie, I mean, this episode is, is Frankenstein. You know, there's, it's not subtle about it at all. In fact, there is a uh, uh, Autobot Spike at one point with bolts in his neck watches a a version of Frankenstein which is not Hammer House nor the classic Universal movies I, I I'm really interested I want to see this version of Frankenstein I love classic horror movies and you know the version shown in the show I'm like oh I, I want to see this version voice acting sounds pretty good
1: of yours made from mismatching parts and an evil brain is a monster who will destroy us all. Nonsense. He will be grateful for the giant powerful body I've given him. (laughs) You see Doctor, you have created a monster A monster.
2: And finally, uh, the tagline of the episode is Bumblebee wondering aloud what would happen if a robot mind got transferred to a human, which, uh, which we would see eventually in le- in season three with only human. You know, possibly one of the, uh, the more famous episodes of the series, but we we're a long way from that one. Uh, But overall, yeah, it's still creepy. It's something about uh, the way Burton does the Autobot Spike voice. Just kind of just how weirdly bipolar he is. And I I don't know, maybe it woke up some kind of just, you know, childhood trauma I had. But like the whole thing with Spike just always, still to this day, unnerves me. just Just the whole way it's done. So on that respect, I mean, other people probably didn't have the same effect. But for me personally, it, it, it definitely did. and It was always an ep that creeped me out. It would be one I would skip. Like if it was in reruns, I would go watch something else or play with my toys or whatever. Uh, anyway, that's uh, that's all I got for the Salty Seaman on Autobot Spike. And now back over to Ant.
0: And of course, you can catch Gabe on his YouTube channel, the Salty Seaman, over on YouTube. So swing on by, search it out, and check it out. And you know, Gabe makes a, a lot of really interesting points there and one of the things you know he mentioned about cory burton's voice acting and it's something i should have prefaced this episode with but i'll mention it here uh, usually before we jump into a cartoon season or a significant chunk of a cartoon season i like to do a meet the cast episode of this show and the first 10 episodes of season two doesn't really have uh that many new cast members and has zero new transformers except maybe Autobot X, which is also technically Spike. So we will be doing a, uh, season two meet the cast episode later on, but probably not until after we've, uh, made our way through the first 10 episodes. So a little bit more about Autobot Spike while we're at it. Uh, there's a couple of interesting little animation and trivia things that, uh, I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd mention, uh, Um, when Ratchet takes Spike to the hospital, Prowl provides a police escort, Um, but no one provided a way for Spike to get out of Ratchet once they got to the hospital. During one of the battles, uh, it's it's also interesting to note that uh, Optimus mounts his uh, gun onto his shoulder like a bazooka, which I don't think we will ever see him do again, and I'm pretty sure we've never seen him do before. Uh, Reflector gets his final spoken lines of the series. Uh, from here on out, you will only see him uh, and his multiple bodies, but he does not speak uh, in any of the final versions of the show. And I think, yeah, that's that's about all the notes I have for some of the fun things. Oh, and let's just break down the makeup of Autobot X uh, as described by tfwiki.net and my friends over there. So from what people can pick out of his uh, components on his body... Uh, He has prowls, forehead crest, and uh, right chest-slash-front bumper. Blue Streak's left door, Sunstreaker's left shoulder, Hound's shoulder-mounted missile launcher and right fender-slash-shoulder, Trailbreaker's arm cannon, left chest and left thigh, Optimus's left wrist and parts of his right leg, and then Jazz's photon rifle, uh, which is mounted on his right arm, as well as Jazz's left leg and the crotch of Jazz. And that is the build of Autobot Spike. And another interesting thing to note that I've noticed a theme, and maybe I've assigned this theme to these five episodes, There's a bit of homage to old movies across these uh, next five episodes, counting Autobot Spike. So Autobot Spike is clearly the Frankenstein one. And uh, as we pivot to Changing Gears... Uh, It's very similar to a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of concept. So, let's move on to episode two, Changing Gears. Uh, 18th episode overall in the U.S. run of the series. This one was written by Larry Parr. Now, I had to do a lot of research to figure out what Larry Parr has done since. His IMDB page um, is fairly incorrect in that it has merged him with another Larry Parr, and that Larry Parr in particular uh, that he has been merged with on IMDb is a movie director from New Zealand, and that is not the Larry Parr that wrote Changing Gears. So what I f- was able to find on Larry Parr that I feel is fairly accurate is he was a, um, an animation writer in um, the 1980s, wrote on the Smurfs, wrote on Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, also another Sunbow show. He was story editor on G.I. Joe, another Sunbow show. And he wrote Pride of the X-Men, the animated uh, movie, which again was also Sunbow. Uh, Currently, he is a freelance writer. He has uh, some murder mysteries on Amazon. and I will link to those uh, in the show notes here. So if you're interested in checking out his books or looking at them, they're there. He is also, as a business, has a dog training how-to series uh, that you can find online. And he, speaking of how-tos, he writes a lot of freelance articles on how to do things these days. Um, For example, he's written a a how-to called How to Prevent Sports Injuries. How to Wind a Rolex. How to Sterilize a Needle. How to Use Lightning Rods to Make Glass on the Beach. How to Stop a Snowmobile Helmet from Fogging. And he has also other how-to articles such as how to trim male pubic hair or how to use yogurt as a cure for bacterial vaginosis. So That is what Larry Parr is up to these days. And the interesting thing for me watching Changing Gears for the first time in a very, very long time is that this episode was really good for an episode that... uh, a very basic plot premise and that is uh, Gears is grumpy and you know in the process of the Decepticons going to build their MacGuffin for the episode which is in this case uh, something Megatron calls the solar needle he realizes that Gears is personality uh, component uh, its a special circuit as they call it in the episode um, is the last piece he needs to complete this machine and plugs it into the machine uh, to get it to work. Now, this thing uh, harnesses solar power from the sun's core, and in the process of this, Megatron kidnaps Gears in order to get the personality component, and uh, it changes Gears from Grumpy to this weird sort of happy, though bubbling, angry underneath, and uh, he is certainly happy and agreeable, and uh, we find out through the course of the episode, that uh, because of this solar needle, the sun will explode in two hours. And uh, Megatron has this needle at the center of Africa, and it's something I noticed that was odd. And so did Rob Clay of Radio Free Cybertron and T-Formers. So here he is with a bit more.
3: Hey, everybody. It's Rob Clay from Radio Free Cybertron and T-Formers.com. And uh, Anthony asked if I'd like to come on and talk about a uh, G1 episode, talk about some cartoons for once, since I'm usually one of the toy guys on RFC, and it sounded like fun. So I went with Changing Gears. It's the one where the Autobots drive to Africa from the Ark, which is usually presumed to be in Southwest America, in less than two hours, which, and every time you see them on screen, they are driving at fairly road-safe, street-legal kind of speed. So, yeah. Even with that goofiness aside, it's a pretty fun episode. Uh, Don Messick does a really good job playing the cheerfully passive-aggressive Gears who has had his uh, grumpiness personality component stolen by Megatron to power his doomsday weapon. And besides that, Slightly goofy conceit, and besides the goofiness of driving to Africa, it's actually a solid little action episode. I'm sure it didn't win any kind of awards for animation quality, honestly. But there's some pretty decent scenes here and there, and at least one of the keyframe animators really obviously liked kicks, because there's some pretty nice dynamic kicking and other you know, hand-to-hand fighting during the episode. Between that and the heavy reuse of stock footage, uh, hope you like that close-up of Starscream getting smacked in the face because you're going to see it at least twice. I think that it's a really good example of animators on a low-budget show making the best of what they have.
0: And you can catch Rob Clay on the Radio Free Cybertron Network and at T-Formers, and of course, on his own Fairly irregular podcast, Rob Clay, Toy Detective, on the Radio Free Cybertron Network, and that's over at tfradio.net. And Rob noticed one of the things I thought was kind of fun in this episode is that, of course, if Megatron is located, quote, in the geographic center of Africa, that the Autobots would drive there and need to get there in under two hours. So I did a little math, and so let's say they're somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, uh, to get to the center of Africa, which I'm putting somewhere in the middle of the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's roughly 8,800 miles direct to drive there, and that is driving over water. uh, For my friends using the uh, metric system, that is about a bit over... Uh, 14,000 kilometers, and at, uh, at 100 miles an hour, it would take about 3.7 days to drive, so a little more than three and a half days, almost three and three quarters days, to drive that directly over water uh, in a car. And so to use some very, very rough math and an online distance calculator, the Autobots, to get there in just under two hours... Uh, would have to be traveling at about 4,500 miles an hour so (laughs) let's put that bit of science aside so a couple other interesting notes in this episode Um, so the Autobots get to Africa there's a lot of fighting one of the things I noticed in the uh, fight sequences is that Cliffjumper actually jumps off a cliff in this episode uh, very literally to his name Um, and there's another interesting thing is when they get to Africa there's a what they call in the voice and acting world, uh, Walla. Now Walla is kind of when um, a bunch of the voice actors all speak at the same time to kind of create the sound like there's a bit of noise. And I could just explain it to you, but just listen for Peter Cullen at the end of this one. Bottle box,
3: forward!
1: It's
0: very clearly Ironhide saying, let's get it on! And so there's a lot of fighting at the needle, and the Autobots eventually deactivate the needle, and Gears gets his personality back, uh, despite his team's uh, minor objections to him being grumpy again. And that brings us to the third episode of the season, episode 19 overall, City of Steel, written by Douglas Booth. Uh, You may remember him back from our first episode on the cartoon, as he had written Roll For It. He had also written Fire on the Mountain and um, eventually becomes noted for writing some of the more wacky Transformers Season 2 episodes, including this one. Remember how I said each episode vaguely resembles a well-known movie or story? Uh, This one is clearly the King Kong homage, and it is also the first episode uh, animated by a studio called Acom, uh, who would go on to animate a number of the episodes of G1, uh, seasons two and three, and they're known for kind of being sloppy and kind of not being really good. Uh, So the ACOM episodes tend to really stand out. There's a lot of animation errors in this episode, and uh, there's a lot of logical errors in this episode. Uh, So this episode takes place in New York. The Constructicons plan to drop the Empire State Building underground and replace it with a Cybertronian styled Empire State Building uh, as Megatron tries to take over New York City and that is the gist of this episode and for more on some of the wackiness and some of the things that have just lived on beyond this episode's life we're going to chat with Jen Olm of the Stasis Pod podcast and Iacon Underground for a bit more.
4: You know there there are some episodes that are really well animated and some that are really well written and this one is neither. Uh, it's it's one of those episodes that was never really like well regarded. Uh, it's it's definitely one of those episodes that when it would come on in in the early bot cons when it would come on in the video room people would leave because uh, it just. Wasn't worth hanging around for. Uh, so it's definitely always been considered one of the sillier episodes. The thing about this episode, I looked up the writer, it's uh, Douglas Booth, who did do some episodes that were pretty well written, but this episode, it's like there are all these one liners that just fall flat, uh, or bits of dialogue that seem to be intended to be funny that just fall flat. Uh, Megatron finds out the Autobots are coming to uh, coming to deal with the fact that the Empire State Building has just withdrawn into the ground and uh, he he calls over Scavenger and Longhaul. He's like your special talents are required for a welcome the Autobots will find terminal.
1: <laughs> Scavenger, Longhaul. No special tenants are required for a welcome. The Autobots will find Terminal.
4: <laughs> it's like, dude, it wasn't that funny. So so Megatron captures Optimus Prime and just completely dismembers him. Uh sets his feet off in a corner somewhere. Uh he turns the rest of his body into this alligator because it takes place in new york city and it was the 80s and alligators in the sewer uh, which is a really cool idea for all of like two minutes maybe total screen time (laughs) Uh, and then he takes his arm and he thinks this is like the most clever idea he has ever had and he takes his arm with the gun. And puts it on top of the Empire State Building that he has rebuilt into this Cybertronian thing somehow with, like, six guys. And basically that's like, you know, their weapon emplacement on top of it is, ha it's Optimus Prime's arm with the gun. Well, and then they leave Optimus Prime's head unguarded, so the Autobots just show up and take it and get it close enough that... You know, it's like, haha, we're shooting at you with your own arm, Uh, but they get close enough to it. And of course, Optimus takes control of it and shoots Devastator with it because, of course, Devastator is there. And and that's it. Uh, So it's like, yeah, that was that was a really poorly considered plan. But I guess also it's like hella dark. It's like he gets dismembered, and none of that is treated with the gravity you would expect. And one of the, the most notorious bits, the the one that I've always liked to, to throw out there, is when they, they get the alligator con under control, and a couple of the Autobots are, are carrying it to where they can take it back apart, and two of them at the same time... Uh, This alligator con is big and heavy. And Optimus's disembodied head says, from the looks of things, I'd say a little of both. This
3: alligator is big and heavy. From the looks of it, I'd say a little of both.
4: Yes, that's literally what they just said, Optimus. Thank you. So yeah, it's it's one of those episodes that is not even very well regarded for a G1 episode.
0: And catch Jen on her own podcast, Stasis Pod, uh, along with Rob London, who's uh, appeared on the show previously, uh, as well as their other host, David, who I plan on having on here eventually. So, David, if you're listening, uh, let's touch base. Uh, as they go through, they start with Beast Wars, uh, which is the 1996 uh, Transformers cartoon and one of my all-time favorites. And it's going to be a while till we get to Beast Wars here. So, uh, they are already making their way through Transformers Prime, which is uh, uh, the 2010, I think that show started. So, uh, they've made their way through a bunch of cartoon series, and they go episode by episode. Um, Each episode is a podcast, uh, and it's a great listen, so you should uh, check it out. So, continuing with City of Steel, as a uh, native New Yorker and someone who grew up in New York in the 80s when this episode was new, there's a lot of weirdly interesting things here and things that are just not possible. Uh, Of course, the Autobots drove to New York from wherever they were, presumably in the Pacific Northwest, and somehow still ended up there on the water. So they drove from the west and went east, and unless they decided to hop into the Hudson River to get to Manhattan Island which apparently they do cuz they approach it from the south <laughs> they got off land to get into the water and of course their cars on skis so let's let's put all of that aside and the reason i know they're south is cuz they drive past the statue of liberty um another weird little thing about new york when you see the empire state building drop into the ground in this episode Uh, It's on the corner of one block, and the Empire State Building is much bigger than that as far as its footprint goes. It actually takes up uh, an entire, almost half a city block, I believe it is, Uh, but that goes from one street to another and an entire side facing uh, an avenue. So it has 34th Street on one side, it faces the avenue on one side, and then it faces 35th Street on the other or 33rd Street. It's one or the other. Anyway, but the Empire State Building as uh portrayed in this episode is actually smaller than the real thing. In other funny, weird notes, there's a Meet Me in Central Park line, which again, Central Park is enormous. To uh let's just say meet me in Central Park uh, would not be possible. And uh, in Central Park, we get a rare appearance by Frenzy. Uh, Megatron uses the uh, word Minicon for the first time, and I think the only time in G1, but that, that word comes back as a um, faction and race of Transformers in 2002. So it's just interesting to see this, uh, this word actually has a very old G1 origin.
1: And if you were to fear one minican, down for As
0: far as the voice cast goes, we have a female news anchor who uh, I believe is voiced by Arlene Banis. and uh, when we do a Meet the Cast episode, I'll give you a bit more on her. Also in this episode, this episode had a huge cast. Buzzsaw made a rare appearance as well. And uh, the last thing worth mentioning, uh, and these both tie back to something that came out later, uh, there are battle taxis in this episode. And man, if there was ever one thing I would like to see get made. Okay, there's a lot of things I would like to see get made by Hasbro. Drone battle taxis that transform would definitely be high up on that list. Uh, So Megatron in this episode has an army of robotic taxi cabs uh checkered cabs at that and it's it's just pretty awesome also at the end of the episode after the Autobots save the day and rebuild Optimus and save New York uh the Autobots transform and drive off and uh, Bumblebee drives at the camera and we see he has an I heart New York sticker on his front bumper and uh that was a big campaign growing up here in New York you heard that song a lot Uh, It was meant for New York tourism. It was meant to generate tourism around the country. So I'm guessing around the country you heard it as well. And uh, that campaign actually started in 1977. uh, And if they had tried to do it now, it might be a bit harder as uh, New York State uh, now licenses out that logo, uh, the I Heart New York logo. uh, And they've been doing so since 1994. Uh, And why I say these two things are kind of important uh, to something that shows up later on Uh, Not in the show, but just in terms of Transformers product. At New York Comic Con one year, Hasbro released a New York Comic Con exclusive set of toys uh, for Transformers Prime. So different characters. But uh, Bumblebee turned into an NYC taxi. And in that set, uh, it included two PVC versions of uh, their human partners from that show. And they both had shirts on that said... uh, They had the I instead of the heart. They had an Autobot logo and NY. So they were I Autobot New York uh, done in the style of I heart New York or I love New York. And that takes us to episode four of season two. And that would be Attack of the Autobots episode 20 overall. This one written by David Wise. And that name's going to be very important as we go through the rest of G1. Uh, David Wise, the most prolific writer. Of G1 cartoon episodes uh, this being his first of 15 episodes and wise uh, was a bit of a prodigy as a child he appeared on TV for making uh, his own amateur films Um, started making films at the age of 7 and was lecturing about films by the age of 9 he got his start in animation at the age of 16 writing for Star Trek the animated series Uh, he also wrote nine episodes of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe and then went on to be a writer and the story editor for the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon and the thing about David Wise as a writer is he let's say he goes green he likes to recycle and boy does he recycle stories um this one probably not,withstanding. So the story starts out with the Autobots attacked at their base. Uh, Megatron and Starscream use invisibility spray to uh, enter the Autobot base and sabotage their recharging chambers, which are essentially little bed pods. And it's kind of interesting to see that the Autobots had uh, these kind of uh, beds uh, to recharge and to basically sleep in. So... I guess they do sleep. Whether or not they dream of electric sheep is up for debate. But by sabotaging these chambers, Megatron can now control the Autobots. Uh, Fortunately, Jazz and Bumblebee were both off-site for the day. And uh, Jazz is working on showing off his new sound system and his rear-mounted speakers. Uh, They get back to the base. Blue Streak fights Jazz as the other Autobots attack uh, an Air Force base. There, we meet uh, Solar Satellite Designer Dr. Harding, voiced by Morgan Lofting. And, of course, more on her when we do get to a Meet the Cast episode, Uh, but you probably know her best as the Baroness on G.I. Joe. Uh, She is chased by Ratchet and Hound as Jazz and Sparkplug and Spike figure out a way to cure the other Autobots eventually Bumblebee will fight Optimus Prime at the base Prime splits into his component parts in here which is something you don't normally see combat deck and roller uh, you don't really see either one particularly combat deck but Bumblebee gets Optimus to uh, eventually change back to his good self but the Decepticons have uh, hijacked a rocket the Autobots board Skyfire intercept the rocket and uh disable it to save the day and going back a little bit as i mentioned david wise loves to recycle he went on to reuse this uh not this plot but a very similar rocket chase scene uh in the teenage mutant ninja turtles episode slash the evil turtle from dimension x dig up that one on youtube and uh do a little compare and contrast you might see uh, a lot of similarities And as I've been talking about this entire time, if the previous episodes all were homage to other uh, movies, uh, Attack of the Autobots certainly has a bit of an invasion of the body snatchers kind of feel to it, especially with the pods being uh, the the recharging chambers, which are essentially pods being sabotaged and then warping the Autobots' minds. And that would take us to Traitor, which... I was having a hard time trying to figure out what movie this might be. I mean, it's, it it fits a number of things, but I also had to think of things that predated this particular episode. And the closest I think I could come was uh, The Manchurian Candidate, uh, which, if you haven't seen, very good movie, stars uh, Frank Sinatra. And without getting too deep into what it's about, it's about brainwashing and about the idea of, of being a traitor or having a traitor in your midst. And this episode was written by George Hampton and Mike Moore. And I cannot find anything on them other than the fact that they wrote a few other cartoons, including uh, Thundercats, uh, for a couple episodes. But they're always credited together. And there's not a lot of information on these two. And it makes me wonder if maybe these names are an alias for another writer. Um, why another writer would need a ghostwriter name or a alias to pen a cartoon, uh, I am not necessarily sure of a good reason, but it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. So, let's get into Trader. Uh, and this one is really important as far as if you're a fan of either Cliff Jumper or Mirage, uh, a lot of the what people remember about those two characters kind of stems from this episode. Uh, to start the episode off, Decepticons, of course, steal something from a lab, uh, namely electro shells from the Experimental Energy Research Laboratory, and that is the EERL. And the next day, Cliff Jumper uh, is shown returning from patrol. Uh, Says he's found the electro shells in the same location that Mirage had searched the day before and uh, This is what sets up Mirage versus Cliffjumper and Cliffjumper believing that Mirage is a traitor Uh, Eventually the Autobots and Decepticons battle at this location Uh, Mirage is defeated by Skywarp and then uh, steals Skywarp's Decepticon badge in the midst of the fight and using his invisibility powers, uh, uses it to frame up the Decepticons with the Insecticons who the Decepticons had brought in to help in the fight and had paid them off with Energon cubes. Over the course of doing this, Cliffjumper believes that Mirage is actually working for the Decepticons because he sees them with the Energon cubes uh, and doesn't really see much else other than him going invisible and fleeing the scene so it's interesting to note here that this story isn't just based around mirage's betrayal or perceived betrayal of the autobots but it's also based around the insecticons perceived betrayal by the decepticons and mirage's plan uh, so we have a, a couple of layers here which makes the story a little little deeper than your average 80s cartoon and for some, the Insecticons were a major part of this episode. And for more on that, we're going to toss to Miguel from Steel City Bots as he gives his take on why the Insecticons are so important.
1: One of the things I love most about this episode uh, are the Insecticons. As much as this episode focuses on Cliff Jumper's accusation that Mirage is a traitor, the Insecticons, I feel, are something that I really take away from this episode, you have uh, still their relationship with the rest of the Decepticons is pretty rocky, where um, Mirage is able to take advantage of that by stealing the Energon cubes and causing the infighting at the later half of the episode. You also get the first appearance of Bombshell's Cerebro shells, sort of showing off those gadgets and powers that a lot of the G1 bots have, in the cartoon which make them very memorable so that's certainly one of the reasons why I really enjoy this episode and and something that I think about when I uh, remember this episode
0: and you can catch Miguel on the Steel City Bots podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts and that's part of the Nerdy Geek Talk Network of shows uh, if you like Transformers if you like Star Wars if you like Marvel uh, check out their shows. Lots of good stuff there. And like Miguel said, uh, this episode is probably equally as important for the Insecticons as it is the Autobots, uh, Mirage and Cliffjumper. And one of the interesting weird little bits in here is that one of Shrapnel's lines is uh, delivered without the uh, special effects that you normally hear on the Insecticons, and it sounds odd uh, because he repeats syllables at the end of each sentence uh and without the special effect it sounds strange but here give it a listen they're
1: firing on us, us it's a Decepticon ambush ambush
0: okay so as for the rest of the story um the Decepticons catch Mirage in the act he's actually damaged by one of Shrapnel's uh shrapnel weapons and the Decepticons use Bombshell's cerebro Shell to control Mirage as Megatron figures out Mirage's plan. Uh, so they use Mirage to lure the Autobots into a trap. And during that, Cliff Cliffjumper um, actually uses the phrase, my cyber-polygraph, which I guess is a Transformers equivalent of a BS detector. Um, Mirage leads them into the trap. Uh, Cliffjumper figures this out, knocks out Mirage, where Ratchet finds the Cerebro shell implanted in Mirage's head and then uh autobots regroup and uh win because megatron decides that if he can't have the electro cells then no one can so he blows them up and uh surprisingly the animation in this episode is really good and maybe it's just a hangover effect from uh city of steel a few episodes before but there's a lot of a lot of good uh animation except for the final scene where cliff jumper uh lays on top of mirage uh it'll like flops over in his lap and then they wrestle uh, it's very just weird looking final final scene and on that weird note we are going to wrap up this edition of transformers university as always if you like the site you like the show you have a lot of ways to help don't forget we've got that fantastic contest over on youtube all you got to do is go over to youtube and subscribe www youtube.com slash tfu info follow that link it'll be in the description of the show as well follow that link and click subscribe it's all you got to do to enter the contest you got until may 5th 2018 to enter but why wait do it now and if you're already a subscriber on youtube guess what you're already entered and if you want some extra entries again swing on by to patreon patreon.com slash tfu info Help support the show. Join up at any level and you get two bonus entries into the giveaway contest. Now, of course, if you want to keep up with the show, you want to keep up with the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Whatever you're listening to it on uh, iTunes, Google Play, you know the drill. Subscribe and you get the episodes almost as soon as they appear as now uh, the folks over on Patreon are going to get at least a day before. Of course, if you want to keep up with the show, catch us on most of the big social media networks. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Patreon, those sites, .com, slash, info, Twitter, TFU, underscore, info, and, of course, on the web at www.tfu.info. Lastly, if you want to help the figure archive at the website, swing on by to you, tfu.info, slash, help, for more details. And, once again, thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting the show. I would not be able to... Uh, do this show without your help and without uh your appreciation so thank you for leaving nice reviews on itunes and google play thank you for uh liking the show and liking anything we do here at tfu.info it really does mean a lot to me so i've got a bunch of these episodes planned out on paper and next week we're going to jump into ultimately the reason (laughs) for any of these uh cartoons and comics existing that's right We're jumping into the toys from 1985. So make sure you keep it here, and until next time, see ya.